0: Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Join us on our journey into the past, the present and the future as we explore the relationship between technology and humanity. Together, we are going to find out what it means to live in a society where everything is connected and the only constant is change. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at nintex.com. Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net.
1: Parker? Sean, can you hear it? I, I think I can hear it. I just don't know what it is yet.
2: Yeah, it's coming it, from far away.
1: It's unidentified.
2: <laughs> it's <an>, unidentified, <laughs> but it seems like it's an audio signal, which is, is a good thing.
1: It is an audio signal. It is an audio signal, but uh, we have to we have to dissect it and analyze it to figure out what the signal is telling us.
2: Ah, there's a code in there. We got to break the code.
1: Yeah, what what the source is? Who's who's it destined for? Or what's it destined for? And uh,
2: and I'm assuming it's coming from
1: space. Uh, we we could assume it's coming from space. doesn't have to be, but maybe it's heading to space.
2: That that there are some. That or, are going or, is
1: there. It, or is it all just space and, and we're ignorant humans and don't realize it?
2: <laughs> well, we yeah. definitely send signal to space. And the question for someone is, are people ignoring it? Well, I say people, but yeah, let's say people for now. We'll, we'll talk about other kind of... Life later on in the conversation, but one of the theories that they actually, yeah, they know we're here, but they don't really care. And maybe, maybe we'll talk about that too. And uh, this is audio signal, Sean. Let's stop uh, confusing our audience I'm messing
1: around with our audience. And yeah. uh, let's let's bring our guest down who I'm, I'm thrilled to have on. Uh, it was a tweet that I saw that inspired me to say a tweet that I, you heard or you said tweet it? that i read <laughs> i didn't it, i didn't have it read for me there was no signal there uh, well i guess it was a, a, a visual written signal but uh, anyway i saw this tweet about i could talk for hours about aliens in space and i'm like perfect let's do it <laughs> i can <laughs> so, listen for hours about yes it. exactly so we're going to do that we're going to talk about aliens and space and technology with Hopefully somebody will be a good friend because I want to have many conversations, I suspect. Jasmine Singh, who happens to be a senior uh, at Purdue University and also has an internship at NASA. Jasmine, thanks so much for joining us.
3: Hi, Marco and Sean. Thanks so much for having me.
1: So this this is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. So we have to start at the beginning. So first, let's hear a little bit about who you are and... What you're up to? So, Mm -hmm. I often joke, my story starts at being hatched. So, our audience (laughs) are probably tired of me saying that, but you can start wherever you want. Mm -hmm. Um, What are you up to?
3: Yeah, so I have always loved space. Like as far back as I can remember, I think it all started in my earth science class when we learned about the planets for the first time, I was really excited. Um, There was so much mystery and so much beauty within space and science in itself. Um, And from then it just kind of snowballed into something huge. Um, I would always look at the stars, look at the moon at night and just kind of ask myself so many questions. And, you know, the types of questions that a kid would ask, like, is there anyone out there? Is someone looking back at me when I'm looking at them? You know, those types of questions. Um, but you know, those are the questions that we're actually seeking to answer today. And so ever since then, you know, I did a ton of research into astronomy just because I got super passionate. I bought a ton of books, um, read them. I watched videos, that type of deal because, you know, we weren't learning about it in school and I was so interested. That I was like, I have to do my own research. Um, and then, When it came time to apply to college, I thought that I wanted to go into aerospace engineering. Um, But then I quickly realized before I applied um, that that wasn't actually my passion. I I realized I wanted to study the bodies that the planets or that the rockets go to, um, not actually build the rockets themselves. Um, So that led me down the path to planetary science, um, which you can guess by the name is just a study of planets and moons and bodies. Um, in space. So I major in planetary science, and I have a double major in atmospheric science, um, which is just a fancy way of saying meteorology. And the reason I chose atmospheric science is because uh, planetary science is such an interdisciplinary field, such a broad field, you can do literally anything. Um, So I wanted to really specify my studies. And when I got to school, I took one atmospheric science class because that was a requirement. So it was either atmospheric science or geology and I chose atmospheric science and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, weather has always been cool to me. Um, storms and tornadoes and hurricanes have been cool to me. So I thought, why not? And when I took it, I was like, hey, I think I could study this too. And so I met with my advisor and we talked about it. Um, And we found out that that was a good route for me because I originally thought I wanted to minor in astronomy. So she said, why not double major? So I decided to double major in atmospheric science and study planetary atmospheres um, because I've always found weather on other planets fascinating as well um, because it's so extreme compared to Earth. We have no idea what's going on on half of the planets. Yeah um,
2: we're, we're starting to to see now that we can explore and and we know that there is atmosphere and weather mm-hmm. pattern pattern all over the places but before we dig more into that I I do have a question cuz you Go said ahead. yeah it, it's still about your background and how you got inspired cuz you say mm-hmm. you always look at the moon at the stars and, mm-hmm. and, and and wanted to do that but was it someone or something in your life as a as a child that inspired you more than anything? Like somebody in the family, a book that you read, maybe even a movie that you saw, um, anything like that made you click?
0: Um,
3: I really do think, I mean, I think my sixth grade teacher might've had a hand in it um, because she was the one that taught the earth science class and she was just really nice and chill and um, <laughs> really made the subject super interesting. I remember doing a project about Saturn uh, which used to be my favorite planet. Um, mm. And I don't know, it just went from there. But my family has always been super supportive. They they weren't the type to push me into a certain field. They they saw that once I had my interests, they were like, you know, she, you should pursue that. You know, go chase your dreams. And they have just been so supportive since then. Love it. Mm-hmm. So continuing my story. Um, so I wanted to study planetary atmospheres because they're so interesting. They're so diverse. Uh, we don't know what's going on, you know, some of the further out planets um, in the solar system. Um, so that's why I chose that. And then, and then from there, I've kind of also delved into the field of astrobiology, um, which is the search for life in the solar system and beyond and stuff like that. And it's also um, the study of the origin of life. A lot of people in astrobiology want to know how life emerged on earth. Um, But I am really interested in searching for life as well. So I'm hoping to kind of combine the two fields and um, maybe search for life in the atmospheres of other planets or stuff like that. Um, So I'm really passionate about aliens and (laughs) that type of thing.
1: (laughs) Well, I love it. And, i mean we're, we're recording this on a saturday last night was a a buck moon i didn't know what a buck moon was i saw it on the news i went outside it's a full moon in july mm-hmm. i love photography i took a few photos and i found that i mean i'm up in the mountains but depending on where you were you you get certain differences in atmosphere And and then i saw a post on twitter where i don't know if it's real or not maybe you can confirm where it said mm-hmm. On on the blue planet, the sun sets red, and on the red planet, the sunsets blue. And all that, to me, says that there's different atmospheres around, between, um, on, I don't know. Talk to me a little bit, and I know Marco really wants to get to the aliens, as do I. Mm-hmm. But talk to me about the atmosphere <laughs> first, because I think we we tend to look at our own planet, and then we tend to look at the other planet, and as you said, the means to get from one to the other. And there's this space between right Mm -hmm. and some some master some billionaires uh, (laughs) explored some of that space close to earth not too long ago but talk to me about the space and why is that both interesting and important to understand
3: yeah so space is really important to understand and explore because you know that's how we emerged on earth that's why people are trying to figure out you know why are we here? How did we get here? You know, asking those philosophical questions, but also they are scientific in a way. Um, And I think it's super important that we explore space and fund space exploration. Um, I won't go into my opinions about billionaires going into space, but you know, I definitely think space exploration should be accessible to a lot of people. I think it'd be great to have just flights going up there and people just seeing the earth from that perspective i think it can really change people and make them realize how small we truly are um,
0: um,
3: and how beautiful this planet really is how lucky we are to be here Um, even though i definitely don't think we're alone we can get into that in a bit but um, i think space exploration is super important to really understand our place in the cosmos why we're here you know what's what else is out there
2: yeah and i connect with that i i watch a lot everything really about space i i watch it in documentary or listen to and and they talk often the people that spend a lot of time astronauts of course uh, the international space station and they even orbit around the planet how their entire perspective change mm-hmm. it's like psychologically something kick in mm-hmm. and they just see it the planet as a completely different thing, and I quote Carl Sagan a lot about the the pale blue dot mm-hmm. that uh, that is really inspiring and really put us in place. Well, not really because we're even smaller than that, of course. But uh, you know, in the universe where we think on our planet that everything rotate on around uh, ourself and our planet in reality. Not even close, right so oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that is a very mind uh, opener, and we should have that, but mm-hmm. th- now I'm getting philosophical, so let's go back <laughs> yeah. let's go back to 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 what you were talking about, and i actually even the question that the sun had about the different atmosphere and different planets and and mm-hmm. how i don't know i, I honestly it's all connected mm-hmm. right when you study space uh you you, you look at a planet you need you need to be an expert almost in everything from geology, as you said, to weather, Mm -hmm. to chemistry and, and all of the above. So how did you pick certain things versus others?
3: Yeah. So I've, I found storms and everything interesting on earth. And so atmospheric science, uh, focuses on earth, obviously meteorology and that type of thing. So we already know a lot of these things, but we can use our own planet as a way to study the other planets. Um, so it was good for me to combine the two majors because in one hand, I'm learning about weather on earth. And then the other hand, I'm learning about other planets and other, uh, you know, aspects about other planets. So I can kind of combine the two and see how we learn about those things. Um, and it's really useful. Um, you know, these, these missions that we have going out and um, studying other planets, um, they're collecting very valuable data about the atmospheres and uh the rocks and everything from the the rovers to juno to cassini um so i'm i'm super excited to get into this and study these types of things i actually do undergrad research um but my undergrad research revolves around um exoplanet atmospheres um so i'm kind of getting into the exoplanet field as well which is relatively new um but we are making so many good discoveries in that field we've discovered over like 4000 exoplanets and counting and this field has only been around since the 90s i believe i could be wrong um but i i love it too
1: <laughs> so i'm as you're describing all this stuff i'm thinking how do you how do you keep it all straight <laughs> <Right>? so, oh, <laughs> how, do, how yeah. do you how do you soak it all in because mm-hmm. there's so much in each one i, I can only imagine mm-hmm. and i can't imagine in many cases even um so t- tell me a little bit about how you do the research and maybe, maybe some of the work you're doing with NASA ties into this as well. Mm-hmm. Is it field by field or are you looking at scenarios that happened across multiple disciplines? What, what kind of projects are you working on? How, what, tell me a little bit about that. So I can mm-hmm. kind of give a sense for what you're doing every day.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, so the work that I'm doing in school, um, it's all computer based. Um, my work in school and my work at NASA. Hopefully um, I can be in the lab in the fall, um, but we're going to see with how things are going with COVID. Um, but my work in school revolves around um, using the wharf model, which is the weather research and forecasting model and putting in some input parameters, um, atmospheric parameters, and just changing them and seeing how that changes the output parameters for um, different atmospheric variables and seeing when um, water-based precipitation forms in rocky um, exoplanet atmospheres. So that's pretty cool. Um, and then my work at NASA is like totally different. Um, it is machine learning, um, which I have never had experience in machine learning, but I found it interesting. Um, and so I'm using machine learning model um a climate model and I am trying to improve that model and climate models are super important. Obviously we, we need them to understand what's going to happen to our climate, you know, how humans are affecting it, that type of deal. Um, so I'm working on that. Um, but I'm also working on an exoplanet climate model, um, which is my main focus. And so that one is the one I'm really interested in because that one we are trying to simulate exoplanet environments and, see which ones are are more habitable um, and that type of deal so i'm trying to improve these machine learning models
1: it's really cool and i was going to ask you what what the purpose is because there's there's research for the sake of research right we just want to collect information analyze it understand what we're seeing maybe compare earth to others but what's the real goal is it to improve the atmosphere and and life on earth, or is it to find opportunities elsewhere on other planets where we could uh, potentially live or to see if there is other life? What's, what's the goal? Or is it all of those?
3: (laughs) Yeah, I would say it's kind of a handful of everything. Um, So the, the earth climate model um, is focused on climate change, obviously, and how humans are impacting the environment, how, you know, what kind of effects we could see in the future if we, you know, continue at a certain rate. Um, spoiler alert, they're not good. Um, and then the exoplanet model is more focused on, you know, finding life on other planets. What, li- what planets would be conducive to conditions that could um, harbor life? Um, so they're, they're, it's kind of a mix of everything.
2: All right, let's, let's get into aliens' life. Come on. Yeah. I've been, I've been very patient now. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, I was looking at your website, and you have some, some blogs about it. You go through the question if aliens are ignoring us, which I kind of mentioned at the beginning. Mm-hmm. What if we're not alone in the universe? You bring the, the, the zoo theory. And, of course, one of the ones that I am a, myself kind of a fan, it's because I find it kind of makes sense to me, is the panspermia idea that life, of course, exists somewhere else. I mean, how Mm -hmm. can it not? That's my point. So let's talk about that. Like, why are you fascinated by that? And -hmm. and what are your thoughts about it?
3: Yeah. Um, So as I mentioned earlier, I've always been looking at the stars and the moon from as far back as I can remember. And I would, you know, ask the questions that a typical kid would ask, I guess, is, you know, I'd look at the moon and I'd be like, what if someone's up there? Obviously I was, I was little, so <laughs> didn't know about the moon landing or anything. Um, but you know, I'd be like, what if someone's up there and they're looking back at me, you know, and that can kind of snowball into bigger questions about uh, other planets and stars and whatnot. But, you know, I was just asking the typical qu- kid questions. Um. But those questions led me to really think about life beyond Earth. Um, and, you know, we talk about aliens as, you know, we, we joke. We talk about the pop culture, like green Martian looking thing. Um, but I think, you know, even microbes are aliens, you know. And so we talk about the icy moons in the outer solar system that have oceans that might have microbes in them. Um, And so those are aliens, too. We always think about intelligent life, but we don't think about microbial life as being aliens, as being life. Um,
2: Like if we didn't come from that?
3: (laughs) Yeah, as if we (laughs) didn't come from that, too. Yeah, you're right.
1: Sean. Yes. So, (laughs) (laughs) well, no. So I I think do we as a society, are we not? focusing on the right thing then do we only care if it's human-like then it doesn't matter I guess did the general population not really understand what's possible and what what it is and why it matters
3: yeah I feel like it might be a, a lack of information to the public but I hope that you know with future missions such as the Europa Clipper, Dragonfly, the Jupiter, icy moons, explorer. like, I hope missions like that, that are going out to these icy bodies and searching for habitable conditions and possibly life. Um, I hope these can kind of open the public's eyes to seeing that we might not be alone. I mean, I definitely don't think we are, but you know what I mean? Um, we might not be the only ones in the solar system, um, which can open uh, questions about the rest of the universe um, and the possibilities for that um, so I'm super excited but you know the odds of intelligent life if I, if I were to go into that they are very small um, based on calculations that people have done which I don't know how people do calculations on that I know there's the very famous Drake equation um, but the Drake equation has a lot of variables that we cannot calculate because they're just hypothetical things like how many intelligent civilizations have evolved how many of those civilizations can communicate you know like these are variables we cannot calculate so we don't actually know the answer to that equation
1: I'm wondering if if you have a sense for and there was a comment made by one of the the billionaires that we we could offload all the nasty disgusting (laughs) manufacturing (laughs) to to somewhere else so i'm wondering my question is do we run the risk of making a negative impact to space by taking our existing mindset and existing technologies and transferring them there Mm -hmm. and or do we need to kind of rethink everything uh, as we begin to branch out off of earth
3: yeah, I've thought about this too. And people always joke about, you know, humans will pollute everything. You know, we have a lot of space junk, as you call it, you know, orbiting Earth, which is mostly satellites. Um, and I guess a car too, <laughs> because of Elon Musk. But, you know, yep. people, you yeah, people there. <laughs> exactly, people always say we have a lot, we are pollute everything. Um, so that is a thing that I've thought about, you know, because are we if we send out stuff to other planets like i guess the rovers are a good example like if there's life on mars or whatever are the rovers kind of bringing our biological stuff and taking it over there and messing with that so that's always been a thing very important for me to understand is like we don't want to um we don't want to mess up the biological ecosystem of these planets if there's anything there because we bring our stuff there that's contamination you know um so that is really something that i hope people can look more into um and hope that we don't mess up everything (laughs) which i guess seems to be a common theme you know we're messing up our own planet let's go mess up some other ones (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's that's fair snakes up. and black widows everywhere with us.
3: <laughs> exactly. Yeah,
2: exactly, exactly. But uh, on the other hand, it, it could be the other way around. And I'm going to go back to the panspermia theory mm-hmm. where even life on Earth is coming from, from another planet. So mm-hmm. maybe we're not that special. It's just that the condition is right here. And the reason why I go here, and, and of course, before we end, you have to talk about the, 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 the zoo theory because oh, I, I love, think yes. that's fascinating <laughs> yes. and a big lesson maybe for you know, not only sci-fi fans, but for everyone. Mm-hmm. But the, the, how the instruments, the technology that there is now, like you said, you talk about the exoplanet and how so many planets have been discovered lately. Mm-hmm. Where are we? With technology and, and in terms of acceleration to discover more and more, and how do you see these developing as well? It's uh, it's like growing exponentially, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, what the most fascinating thing from a technology perspective that the, the NASA and, and and you are using right now?
3: Yeah, I think the technology is incredibly fascinating. Um, it's it's crazy to me that we can just use these telescopes and kind of see a planet like orbiting its star and, you know, see those little dips and, you know, see that, okay, there's something there. And we, we know that that's a planet because X, Y, and Z. Um, and that's so fascinating to me because of how big spaces, you know, it's so far away, but we can still detect that from earth and consider that a discovery. And there was a discovery a couple days ago about, um, that there was a moon-forming disk around exoplanets, and which is so cool because we haven't really delved into the field of exomoons—I guess they're called. Um, so that's that's leading to something new. And then, of course, we have the upcoming, hopefully upcoming <laughs> James Webb Telescope that everybody's super excited about because that's completely going to change the field of exoplanet science. And I really hope that we can make some good discoveries about you know the atmospheres that's a huge thing and hopefully one day i don't know when this will be but hopefully get a picture of an exoplanet you know that's that's good to me i mean we've gotten some pictures but i mean like a picture that's not just like a dot like a small dot you know maybe something a little better
1: i have a a picture of one yeah (laughs) you you can't see it but I.
3: of course
1: (laughs) yeah it's
2: incredible when i I mean, I'm not a science uh, mm-hmm. in terms of you know space science and more like the human brain type mm-hmm. of guy. But I am so fascinated by all of that, that when I was trying to understand how uh, infrared astronomy works and how you can detect all the particles and you can mm-hmm. tell the composition of a planet just by looking at the, you know, the, the range of colors, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, that, <Yep. laughs> you, that you see in it. And then. I've been lucky enough to see the Galileo's uh, telescope in in uh, in a museum in Italy, and to think that he was able, you know, in the 1600 to to look at the discover the Jupiter moons with that piece of <laughs> lens exactly. that it, he had at the time, right? Yeah. So it's fascinating to think how far we've gone from that, how far it took to get there, and how mm-hmm. long it took to get there, and and there's so many opportunity that we may have in the future. It's, it's incredible. So I want to, let's talk about that, that zoo uh, theory. Of course, where, of course. Cause it's uh, it's really humbling, in my
3: opinion. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so what is it? What is it?
3: All right. So it kind of starts off with the Fermi paradox, which basically is asking the question of where is everybody? Why haven't we come into contact with everybody? And so the zoo hypothesis is kind of, an answer to that or it attempts to answer that. So it basically where the name comes from is we are basically being observed like animals in a zoo. Um which I it's so creepy to think about. Um so it's basically saying that aliens are observing earth but we we don't know about that. They're kind of hiding themselves from us. Either they have the technology to do so or they're just super far away and they're able to observe us somehow with their technology and we don't know. And, you know, it's really, really creepy if you think about it. I mean, I guess people have already speculated that we're being watched and they must be very disappointed by what they're seeing. Um, but, but the thing is that they say that they're intentionally doing this. They're intentionally avoiding communication with Earth so that they don't interfere with anything that's... Um, going on on our planet whether it's natural evolution or our development um our cultural development or they just want to avoid the um what i said earlier the interplanetary con- contamination mm. um so kind of like you know we observe animals at a zoo there's a glass wall in front of them so we don't you know bother them and disturb their natural ecosystem or i guess kind of natural because it's in a zoo but you know their ecosystem we don't interfere with that so they don't interfere with us
2: that that sounds to me sometimes that i think about it 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 justify this kind of glitch in the system which will be the when we see an identified object Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like maybe that yeah maybe there is a glitch in the in the way that we they're keeping us in there and we we happen to see that so there you go let's go sci-fi to to the next level
3: (laughs) yeah
1: it, make, it reminds me of uh Jim Carrey movie. Uh, what was it called? Uh, the oh, Truman the... Show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and not until the crack in the door
3: <laughs> was,
1: there, was there a sign. And let, let's talk about – I can mean, okay, talk for hours, but uh, <laughs> let's, let's go here and then maybe, maybe we can uh, get a final thing.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Signals. I know this show is called Audio Signals. Not not meant to be tied to signals to space, but we're going to do it now sort okay. of sort of <laughs> more radio we, so there's there are signals right we're creating them there mm-hmm. are others i think coming from other places is there data in those signals is there data in the data <laughs> do we do we know how to capture are we capturing um are we sending specifically signals to see if there's some response. I'm interested about signals. I don't know if you if you follow any of that or. or
3: yeah, I about- I know the most famous one. And you guys have probably heard of it is the Wow signal, um, which was discovered in the late 70s. Um, so so people were very intrigued by that because they were like, oh wow, somebody somebody kind of responded to us. Um, that's what they think, and I'm not sure if it's been debunked. I think people say that it's, it might've been from a star or a comet or something. Um, but it was, it's really interesting. I, I think I'm, I'm not a huge expert in it. Um, I only know really about the wow signal and I know that we're trying to send out a bunch of signals and hopefully get something back, but I can talk about the limitations of that and how I think, Our technology is just not at the point where we can really receive anything. You know, there's a lot of limitations because say we send out a signal, right? And say we send it to a star that's 20 light years away. It'll take 20 light years to get there. And then they have to send, if there's something there, they have to send something back and that they could, you know, everything's limited by the speed of light. So that's gonna take 20 more years to get back here, you know, so I think there's a bunch of limitations in terms of signals and communication. I don't know how that can advance in the future. Um, hopefully, we can send them out faster than we currently are, because obviously, nowhere near the speed of light. Um, but it's, it's really fascinating to me with um, interplanetary communication, and that type of aspect and seeing how we can advance that field.
2: Yeah, I mean, people are learning about that. When when you know about the delay, we communicated with rovers of Mars, mm-hmm. and, you know, yep. so that, that there is. We, we had some episode that we we brought it into, into the cybersecurity aspect of things, where you're like you have to be prepared oh, to yeah. to to drive autonomously, right? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> <And, Yep. laughs> you can't just swerve or move or you know you you got into that blackout communication that also we experienced going around the moon with the Apollo yep. mission as well. So it's uh, it's so fascinating, all of this, and, and way more than that. Yeah, because
1: and- The first thing that comes to mind for me is that we think we know what signals, how they're structured, how exactly. they're sent, what the acknowledgement response looks like. It could be completely different out there mm-hmm. for what, and maybe hidden or tunneled in something that we – Can't see or understand. Who, who knows? Exactly. Just like life,
2: (laughs) we, 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 you, you compare everything to us. You know, we, we make robots that look like humans. They can be a box, (laughs) right? I mean, we represent aliens with two eyes. Maybe they have an angular face, but that's that's how we represent them. And they may be completely, completely different. And exactly. And if they're looking at us, we hope that they're never going to need to make us. Like a, a highway and like the hitch, hitchhiker guide to the universe, we're gonna have, <laughs> we're gonna be obliterated just because uh, the highway has to go. through. Yeah, so uh, maybe maybe they respect domain. us a little bit more. And the answer is forty two anyway. For those two. of course, <laughs>
3: yeah. Um, I have thoughts about. I don't know why. I mean, I guess we kind of have to make everything human centric in a way, because it's all we know, you know, so mm-hmm. it's all we know. So we had to make otherworldly beings look like humans as well, because that's all we know, we can't possibly fathom what they could look like. Um, and that's, that's part of the beauty of it that I never mentioned is that there's just so much mystery, we have no idea what they could look like, we have no idea what kind of laws they could have if they're intelligent enough you know to be a civilization what kind of laws they could have you know what kind of languages they could speak like it's so like what kind of forms of communication they use it's so fascinating there's so many questions and I hope at least in my lifetime that we find something or we're close to finding something I know there was a whole phosphine on Venus thing there's methane on Mars people are still trying to answer those questions but I really hope that we find something, even if it's tiny, I'll still be happy because that can finally answer the question, put it to rest that we're not alone.
1: I love it. And I had a, I had a question for you. You may have, yeah, may have s- subtly answered it there. What, what's more interesting to you or what, what's more, what, where's your passion lie? Is it to mm-hmm. explore the unknown and to see what you find or to, have an idea of what you're looking for and trying to find it in the research that you're doing.
3: Yeah. Um, I I think for me, it's, it's more of the unknown. I've always been advocating to send missions to the ice giants Uranus and Neptune, because we haven't really been there since Voyager and that too. Voyager didn't even stop at the ice giants. Voyager just flew by, took some pictures. Um, so I always want us to go to places we haven't been before. That's why I'm so excited for, the icy moon missions um, not only because of the possibility for life and that type of thing but also because it's the unknown we haven't really been there we Cassini like went by a little bit you know on Enceladus and that's how we discovered the plumes you know erupting from beneath the surface but nothing really more and so I'm so excited to send these new missions, you know, there's the upcoming Venus mission, we haven't really gone to Venus either, you know, and that's considered our sister planet. Um, So for me, it's more of the unknown. But obviously, you know, you kind of do want to have some type of idea of what you're looking for and what you expect to find. But it's incredible. The questions, the amount of questions that you can ask and kind of the snowball effect that space exploration and aliens can just lead to.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, and as I reference often with history, uh, the, the discovery has always been part of um, who we are. I mm-hmm. mean, we, we had to cross the ocean to see what was there. It took a lot mm-hmm. of risk. And uh, once we figure out, and this is—I'm gonna break the news that, that the planet is—it's uh, uh, spherical. Yes, no, yes. Flat. Thank so you. sorry about
3: that. Thank you for sorry. <laughs>
2: um, you know, then oh, we then God. we need. Uh, sorry, Sean. Yeah, you're gonna have to make the pizza somewhere else now it's not <laughs> <Okay>. flat. <laughs> so the point is, we we can't stop that, and I'm not gonna go dark in the future of you know when when. The, when we will have to eventually leave this planet no matter what. But yeah. uh, it's, it's just fascinating. And, and as you can tell, I could talk about this forever, Sean, same, you the Oops. same, but we're going to have to give it a, a cut here at about 37 minutes. And honestly, I really enjoyed this conversation. Okay. I think it's extremely inspiring for, hopefully, for everybody listening as well. And uh, I'd love to have you back if you ever want of to course. come back on the
3: show. Yeah. yeah, we um, did we
1: did touch on oceans that
3: uh, Oh yes, yes. We did not
1: touch on a lot of things. There's a lot of things and, and yeah. still you mentioned story. I mean, I could I could spend hours on that too.
2: Yeah. We could we could talk forever. That's <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and and Jasmine, I I'm so happy that you found the time to do this with us. Thank you. And uh, we will have notes on the podcast uh, with resources uh, to get in touch with you, maybe something you want to outline on research that you're doing your blog which i find it very very fascinating i love the blog
3: thank you thank yeah, you
2: really really cool and uh again thank you so much and keep this energy yes and passion in everything you do because
1: it's really really inspiring yeah
3: thank you for
1: having me thanks jasmine
0: Blue Lava is the first business platform for CISOs to manage their security program. Blue Lava guides security leaders to effectively measure, optimize, and communicate their security program with confidence and ease in one platform. Learn more at bluelava.net. Nintex is the global standard for business process management and automation. The Nintex platform helps their clients accelerate progress on their digital transformation journeys by quickly and easily managing, automating, and optimizing business processes. Learn more at nintex.com We hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you learned something new and this story made you think, then share ITSP magazine with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company